One of the major areas of influence here at First Baptist Church is our preschool ministry, and I appreciate Tara Cruz and, and her team and all that they do, but it's also one of the areas of our greatest need for volunteers from you. You don't have to be in there every week. You can get in a rotation where you're in there once every several weeks, but contact Tara, contact any of us. Maybe God's leading you to be a part of this foundational ministry, establishing roots of who God is and who His church is, uh, and so if God wants to use you, uh, maybe he's calling you. So contact us. We'd love to have you as a volunteer. We'll visit with you about that. W.C. Fields was a comedian and an actor, Broadway actor in the early 1900s and mid-1900s. W.C. Fields was a, actually started out as a juggler. And although he often played very endearing characters... Personally, W.C. Fields was a, was a very crude man. He hated babies. He, he wouldn't volunteer to be in the nursery for sure. <laughs> he hated babies. He hated children. And he hated dogs. And he hated God. You see, W.C. Fields was an atheist. And he regarded all religions... He said, with the suspicion of a con man, he was a heavy drinker, he was a womanizer, he was foul-mouthed. And in 1935, three of his closest friends died. It threw him into a tailspin. He went into a deep depression. He spent several months in a mental hospital. He stopped eating. Near the end of his life in 1946, he was in a sanitarium in Pasadena, California. A friend came to visit him. It was a former uh, a fellow actor, Thomas Mitchell, who it was, who walked in. And he walked into W.C. Fields' room, and Fields was holding a Bible, reading it. Thomas Mitchell said, what on earth are you doing? You don't believe that. What are you doing? W.C. Fields said, I'm looking for loopholes, my friend. Looking for loopholes. Not long after that, on Christmas Day of 1946, W.C. Fields had a massive hemorrhage and died on Christmas Day. It was a day all during his life he said, I despise Christmas Day. And that was the day he went into eternity. As Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount... Um, he starts to get really serious. He starts to give us one warning after another, and one of the warnings he gives us is the warning about going into eternity unprepared. And that was one of the last things he said in his sermon. Now, on Sunday mornings, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing it for a number of weeks here, about 13 weeks We've been going verse by verse through chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew because that's the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going through it verse by verse at a sermon series entitled Exceed of how Jesus said, if you're a follower of me, your righteousness must exceed that of the religious people of the day. And as he gets to the end of his sermon, he, he begins to sound like a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Unusual for Jesus, isn't it? So listen to what he said, verse 21. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I almost title the sermon this morning, The Jesus Nobody Talks About. Because what you have in this passage is the Jesus nobody in culture mentions. You see, the Jesus of culture is the Jesus who is loving. He's a sympathetic figure. He loves you. He, he never judges you. He approves of you. He affirms you. And he distances himself from that church crowd. That's the Jesus of culture. I mentioned to you on Super Bowl Sunday about the He Gets Us campaign, the commercials, the billboards. They say on their website they want to recapture the Jesus who is unconditional love and peace and kindness. And the Jesus who defends the poor and the marginalized. And he was nothing like those, those oppressive, bigoted followers of his. Like you, they say, Jesus faced criticism and he faced injustice. And he included everybody and he never judged and he always forgave. And he too lived in poverty and he was a refugee, you know. So you live the lifestyle you want. You do you and he gets you. He's for you. He understands you. That's the Jesus of culture. But then we come to this passage, and it's a different Jesus. It's a Jesus who says, you're going to stand before me, him, in judgment. And there will be many who say, to, say I, I, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I, I did good things. Why can't I enter in? And he is going to say, depart from me and send you to hell. You don't hear that quoted today. You hear Matthew 7, 1, because it says, don't judge. But read on down the rest of the chapter, and you find this Jesus. The Jesus nobody talks about. So let's hear what he said. Here's the background to what he said. The, the background. The Jews... All the way in the Old Testament, for as long as they've been around just about, the Jews always heard of a day out there that's coming. A day that's coming in the future where God will rise up and he will visit the earth and inter, intervene into the human affairs of earth. And he is going to judge all the nations of the world, but the Jews will rise up and be king. And all the ones who oppressed 
The Jews will be judged and God will show up as big brother and the Jews will rise to the top and they couldn't wait for that day and that day was called that day. So their entire lives, their entire history, they heard of Biom, Biom, Biom. You see, Yom is day in Hebrew. Biom is that day. I couldn't wait. On that day, Jews will reign supreme. And it went all the way back to their law. Leviticus 16 talks about that day more than 400 times in the Old Testament. That day. And then Joshua talked about that day. And Judges talked about Beom. And 1 Samuel 7 talked about that day upon the Philistines. And 2 Samuel, David spoke of that day. Nehemiah talked about it. Esther talked about it. And the prophets, Isaiah mentioned on that day 43 times. Zechariah was studying on Wednesday nights. 18 times he said, on that day, on that day, on that day, Jews couldn't wait because the nations will be judged. They'll reign supreme. So Jesus comes along, concludes his Sermon on the Mount with a concept they knew very well. And he says, on that day, and the Jews are going, yes, preach it, Jesus, preach it. But he gives a different twist. He says, on that day, I'm not going to judge nationalities. I'm judging individuals. It won't be the Jews that rise. It will be believers in me. But most, most will not make it. So, Let's hear what he said. I'm sure he had their attention. Now let's look at the encounter. The encounter. Verse 21. Not everyone, Jesus said, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Several things strike me about what he said there. The first thing I really notice is there's a difference between saying and doing. In this passage, Jesus juxtaposed our words and our actions. He contrasted them. There will be those that talk and there are those that do. And all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus really is talking about the sayers and the doers. Some people just talk a good game and other people do it. And Jesus said, as my followers, you be like the doers. Don't just be the talkers. And so he, he talked about saying versus doing. You see, we really emphasize talking. We emphasize what we say. I, I'm a Christian. Now, I'm, I don't quite do what I should, but I'm a Christian. We emphasize the talking. 
Oh, I, I'm a believer, Pastor. Oh, yeah, I, I believe in God. Absolutely. Now, I don't, I don't always go to church, and I, I don't always live the way I should, but I, I believe in God. We, we talk. We don't do. And Jesus said, I'm not really interested in your words. I'm interested in your actions. Because I can say anything. Words are cheap. I can say anything. Doesn't make it so. What if I told you this morning, did you know that I'm the strongest man in the world? See, you're laughing already. Where come? What if I said, I'm the strongest man in the world? And you go, you are? Yeah. Did you not know that I won the competition last month in Myrtle Beach? Last month, April 22nd, they had the world's strongest man competition on the beaches of Myrtle Beach. I won it. You did? Yes, of course. You won it. I won it. No, no, Pastor. Mitchell Hooper won it. He was the first Canadian to ever win. No, no, no. I beat Mitchell Hooper. You didn't see? No. I'm the strongest man in the world. And you say, well, Pastor, no offense, but you don't look it. <laughs> I'm a Christian. Really? Yes. I, I walked an aisle seven years old. I, I walked an aisle. I'm a Christian. Really? No offense. <laughs> you don't look it. You can say anything. I can say anything. Doesn't make it so. So Jesus looked at the crowd that day and said, I'm not really interested in what you say. He talked about it with the fruits last Sunday. I'll recognize you by what you do. Even as Baptists, we get caught up in saying, you got to say that prayer. You need to say that prayer. To be saved, say that prayer. Well, Pastor, I know that my child, I know they don't, they don't live right, but they said that prayer. They, were, they said it at seven years old. I know they don't live the way that they, sh they should, and I, I'm praying for them. I hope they do. But they, but they said the prayer. We're emphasized in talking what we say. Jesus is interested in what you do. And at the final judgment, he said, there will be false professors. There will be those who profess falsely. And they're going to talk a lot. The final judgment, going to be a lot of talking. But, 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 a lot of talking. Here's something else I noticed about the passage. Verse 21. Next thing I noticed was the strong contrast between believers and lost, saved and the lost. And it, and it comes down to one word in verse 21, the word B-U-T, but. In the Greek, it's the word Allah, A-L-L-A, Allah. And it's a strong contrast word. 
It means contrasting this from that. And so Jesus is saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one that does will. Strong contrast. You see, we get, we're kind of fuzzy. The, the, the saved and the lost kind of blend together for us. It kind of gets fuzzy. Are you saying, well, yeah, I was, I was saved when I was young. Okay, uh, okay. But you don't look like it. But this one does look like it. And uh, they get, it, the saved and the lost kind of blend together for us. With Jesus, there is a strong contrast. Yes or no. But it's not fuzzy with him. Another thing I noticed about the passage, the collective nature versus the individual nature of the judgment. Did you notice not everyone as a group collectively will say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven, but the person that does the will of my Father, but the one who does the will of my Father, it's a personal judgment, not a collective judgment. Folks, I will stand before God all alone. So will you. Now look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? On that day, some of the things that, that kind of really struck me about this verse, whenever Jesus said, on that day, immediately the Jews' ears perked up. Oh, here he goes. Come on, Jesus. Preach, Jesus. Preach. On that day, we're ready. Be on. We're ready. And he says, on that day, and he gave it a new meaning. Not a day where Jesus, where the Jews are glad, but a day where everyone will be judged if they know Jesus or not. It appears there will be people shocked. Did you notice that? It appears at the final judgment, people will be surprised, shocked. Lord, wait a minute. Lord, Lord, wait a minute. Wait, wait a, wait a minute. There's, there's got to be a mistake. I belong there because I preached in your name. Surely, whoever preaches at First Baptist Church of Garland is going to go to heaven. Well, Balaam in the Old Testament preached preached a pretty good sermon, by the way. He's a pagan. But I cast out demons in your name. In the book of Acts, the sons of Sceva cast out demons, and they're pagan. I did many mighty works in your name. The Egyptian magicians did many mighty works. They're, they're pagan. Doesn't mean you're a believer. Did you notice how religious this group is? They've done a lot of good stuff. And another thing I noticed. On that day, he said, many will say to me, many. Many. Wow, that's startling. I mean, I, I, would, I would have the tendency to say, okay, out of, a, out of a group this size, we may have one or two, okay? 
three that, okay, maybe they think they're saved. They're really not. They're just kind of playing the game. Maybe two or three. He goes, most of you. What? Many. Remember a few weeks ago whenever he's talking about the broad way that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life? And he said on the broad road, there will be many go down that road and there will be only a few that find life. Remember that? So most people will not make it. It's startling. Something else I noticed, everybody's calling him Lord. Did you notice that? Lord, Lord. Now, right now, not everybody calls him Lord. They use his name as a curse word. They call him other things. But then every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Every person's calling him Lord, whether they make it or not. This shows us that Jesus is not fooled by our words. And there's going to be a lot of talking on that day. But look at verse 23. Now Jesus talks. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then I will declare to them. Three words stick out in that verse. Number one, first of all, is the word never. You'll see it on your screen. It's the word in Greek, ude pote. Ude pote means not even once. It means not at all. It means never at any time. So it wasn't like Jesus said, I knew you and then you lost it. I knew you, but you turned away from me. I, I knew you whenever you were nine, but then you turned away. No, no, he's saying, I never knew you, ever. Never knew you. Isn't it interesting that you can do good things and not be known by Jesus? That you can preach and he don't know you? That you can sing up here and he don't know you. That you can work at Friendship House and he doesn't know you. That you can be a camp sponsor and he doesn't know you. That you can volunteer at Upward Sports and he doesn't know you. That you can give money to the church and he doesn't know you. That's startling. The second word that strikes me is the word know. I never knew you. It's Greek, the Greek word genosko. It means to become acquainted with or have a personal knowledge. Now, hold on, Pastor. I, I thought God knew everybody. And I thought God loves everybody. What do you mean he doesn't know me because he knows everybody? But he's talking about genosko, a personal knowledge, an intimate knowledge a personal one-on-one -on -one knowledge. A time in your life where you have repented of who you are. And you have believed who He is. 
and you have submitted your life to him and you have said, oh dear Jesus, I want to be yours and, and anything you want from me, I will do it. Anything you want me to change, I will change. Anything you want me to give up, I will give up. I am yours, period. That's knowledge. If you've never done that, he doesn't know you. He doesn't gnosko you in a personal way. Now the worst word saved it for last. Depart. You'll see it on the screen. It's the word choreo. Prefix apo is in front of it. It means to leave space. It means to go away. Get away from me. And it's emphatic. Picture that. Jesus, I, I know you. I don't know you. Depart. But Jesus, I, I preached First Baptist Church of Garland. Depart. I volunteered at the church. Depart. But you don't understand. I, 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 I walked that aisle. Go away. But you don't understand. Go away. It's emphatic. It's not just depart. Get out of here. I don't, I don't know that there's a more gut wrenching scene in the New Testament than that. Pastor, you're just trying to scare us. I didn't say this. He did. I'm just telling you what he said. I didn't come up with this, didn't make it up. I'm repeating him. You see, friends, with Jesus, it's all or nothing. It's not a little bit Jesus and a whole lot me. A little bit of Jesus, a whole lot my career. It's Jesus or nothing. It's not how much do I have to do to get into heaven. It's who you know. R.C. Sproul said, if there were no final judgment, God's knowledge of my life would not be so threatening. Or if he knew everything about me but was not all powerful, I wouldn't be intimidated. Or if he knew all about me and was all powerful but not holy, maybe we could negotiate. But he's all of those and always will be. Martin Luther, here's a picture of a young Martin Luther, German theologian, author, or the key figure in the Protestant Reformation, 1500s in Germany. Martin Luther said, I have on my calendar two days 
this day and that day. And that day is determined by this day. Let's pray together. Father, man, this was a hard passage today. Lord, it's, it's hard to think about people who are thinking they're in the kingdom and they're not. And they won't find out until it's too late. Yet, Lord, we have clues. We have, we have fruit that comes that we should see out of our lives that are it's a good indication of where we stand, regardless of what we say. So, Lord, I pray today for those people who are here not, Lord, those that have walked an aisle or been baptized or raised in the church. I'm, I'm praying for those people today that have never truly surrendered their lives. I mean 100% to you. That today will be the day. So, Father, give them courage. It'll take courage on this Mother's Day. If they're in the balcony, if they're in the lower level or wherever they are, give them courage to make this the day they turn everything over to you. In Jesus' name.